0: Do you wonder how the ancient truth of the Bible intersects with today's news? Do you believe in God's promises to the people and the land of Israel? Welcome to the Lone Star Podcast, a weekly conversation to expand your mind and encourage your soul. Our hosts live in the two Lone Star states, Rabbi Dove Lipman in Israel and Pastor Trey Graham in Texas. This podcast is your opportunity to learn the truth about the God of Israel from two people who love Israel. Please follow us on Twitter at Lone Star Podcast to learn when new weekly episodes are ready. You ready to be encouraged? Please join Rabbi Dove Lippman and Pastor Trey Graham.
1: We do welcome you to this week's podcast. I enjoy spending time on the phone studying the Word of God with Rabbi Lippman. How are you, sir? How is life in the land of Israel right now?
2: Thank God we're doing well. Life is good. Um... We are uh, actually hosting the World Lacrosse Championships here, which is significant because 46 countries from around the world uh, have sent teams. And, you know, all the times that Israel feels isolated, it's good to be blessed with uh, this kind of an event. But I will tell you, uh, and your listeners should know, the fires in, uh, uh, around the Gaza Strip continue. Uh, somewhere between 10 to 20 new fires start a day when Hamas activists, fire, send kites or balloons uh, over to uh, Israeli towns, uh, so much so that the other day a balloon landed in a kindergarten uh, yard, and, and children are educated enough already not to go and touch them, but it gives you a sense for the kind of destruction and damage that could take place uh, if their goals are, are actually met.
1: We've talked about it on previous editions of the podcast, how frustrating it is for the Israeli military, one of the most technologically advanced armies in the world, and they're struggling to find the right strategy to defend against a kite with a burning towel attached to the end of it.
2: Yeah, it's quite startling, and I don't have a doubt that we'll figure out with God's help. We'll figure out the solution. Uh, they're working hard on it. You know, we during the war four years ago, we dealt with tunnels that terrorists dug to come into our towns and and uh, either kidnap or kill women, children, anybody they find. And since then, Israel, thank God, has developed technology to detect these tunnels and we're blowing them up. And we'll have to do the same thing here. Israel's story <laughs> has been adapting to new realities and figuring out how to creative solutions to new problems and new challenges that come up. And that's what we'll do in this case also. But in the meantime, significant, significant damage is being done. We're talking about hundreds and hundreds of acres. Um, someone wanted to connect it to the World Cup, and they said the, the equivalent of 5,000 soccer fields have been destroyed uh, by these fires. And it's hard. It's sad for the farmers. It's definitely demoralizing for the people. But as we always point out when we talk, uh, people of Israel are strong. The God of Israel is strong. And we will persevere, and we'll figure out a solution, and we'll keep moving forward.
1: We do pledge to continue to pray for the people of Israel. Sha'alu shalom Yerushalayim, sha'alu shalom Yisrael, pray for the peace of Jerusalem, pray for the peace of Israel, as the Lord asks us to do in Psalm 122, verse 6. And let's get into this week's Torah portion, and we begin a new Bible book, the book of Deuteronomy. And before we get into chapter 1, Rabbi, I think we should take a moment and talk about the name of this book. In Hebrew, it's Devarim, which means the words. The word Devarim means the words. It's plural. And as with all cases in the Hebrew names, they come from the first significant word of the passage. So Deuteronomy 1 verse 1 says, these are the words which Moses spoke to all Israel. So in Hebrew, the name again is Devarim. In English, the name is Deuteronomy. And I hope our listeners know, but let's remind them that that English name, Deuteronomy, comes from two Greek words, Deutero and Nomos. Deutero means second, like deuce, And Nomos means law. So second law is the Greek name or how we get our English word, Deuteronomos, And Rabbi, when I teach this in our church, I often say, this is Moses giving the people a reminder of the Torah, of the commandments of God before they enter the promised land. He's not going to be allowed to enter, but they are led by Joshua. But this is the second giving. This is the retelling or the reminding of the people what God expects of them as his people in his land. And so we have the name, the second law, Deuteronomos
2: three points I want to make about that. First of all, quite remarkable, because that's the exact translation, even though it's called Devarim, or Deutero- uh, which we translate as Deuteronomy, uh, and Devarim means words, so you ask yourself, so where does that Greek term come from in terms of second law? The secondary name that we have for this book is Mishnah Torah, which is repeating of the Torah, uh, going over it again a second time, the law being repeated, so that's where that Greek uh, terminology comes from. is directly from sort of the Talmudic term uh, for this book, which is Mishnah Torah, uh, repeating the Torah. The second element, though, of second law is we're going to have another covenant made later on in the book, uh, where first we had the covenant that was made at Sinai, and now the people, again, are going to reaffirm their, their conviction and their commitment to God and God's promise to them. So we have a second pact Uh, that's made in this book. And the final point I want to make is about just the words, Elah hadvarim," which are the first two words. These are the words that Moses spoke. If you remember, Pastor, when God first approached Moses way back in Exodus at the burning bush, and God asked Moses to go to Egypt, what did Moses say? He said in Hebrew, Lo ish Dvarim I am not a man of Dvarim. I am not a man of words. Moses, according to our tradition, had a speech impediment. He wasn't comfortable speaking. He said, "I'm not a man of words." And here this book opens up these are the words that Moses spoke. He just goes chapter after chapter, portion after portion. These are the words of Moses. So you see this transformation that took place over his lifetime with God's help and God's blessing, where he transformed from a person who was not a man of words to a person who has lots of words to say and lots of messages to share with the people and for all generations.
1: As we said, the first verse of the whole book of deuteronomy or devarim chapter 1 verse 1 these are the words which moses spoke to all israel across the jordan in the wilderness so they're on the east side of the jordan river before they have crossed over into the land of canaan or the land of promise and rabbi one commentary says that when the the writer here says the words moses spoke to all israel they said it's like the Book of Deuteronomy is a whole series of the sermons of Moses.
2: Absolutely, we actually call it uh, his last will and testament. These are—it uh, it tells us exactly when he starts speaking, and it comes out to be a little more than a month before he passes away, based on the dates that we have. So this is his last presentation to the people, and very much a series of lectures, of lessons, of rebuke, of inspiration, and it really is a different style uh, than the rest of the Bible. Now again, according to our tradition, God then told Moses to put these words in the Bible so that every word that's in the Bible does have divine origin. But when they were first spoken, these are words that are initiated by Moses.
1: We believe that God speaks through men, and that's how we have our scriptures, the inspiration of scripture. Christians have a verse in 2 Timothy chapter 3 that said all the scripture is God-breathed or inspired. And so we believe that God spoke to Moses to say these sermons and then to write these things down. And even when we get to chapter 1 verse 2, Just getting into the text, we have a very important realization to make. And Rabbi, sometimes we say the best way to understand your Bible is to pull out your map. So if you were to look at chapter 1, verse 2, it says, It is 11 days' journey from Horeb by the way of Mount Seir to Kadesh Barnea. Let me translate a little bit. 11 days from Horeb, better known as Mount Sinai, in the Sinai Peninsula of Egypt today, By the way of Mount Seir, which is another name for uh, Edom over on the east side of the Jordan River, to Kadesh Barnea, that's the entrance point or the crossover over the Jordan River, sum it all up to say about a 150-mile journey should have taken about 11 days to get from the quote-unquote wilderness to the promised land, and in an 11-day journey has taken 40 years because of the punishment that we talked about with the 12 spies.
2: And it's no coincidence, I think, that it mentions that here. It's something which we're reminded of over and over again, the consequences of the sins, what could have been uh, had they not sinned. And according to our tradition, we're not going to have time to go through all of it, but they even, so our, our our rabbis, our sages teach that all of this is, this hidden rebuke where Moses is hinting to various things uh, to the people as he begins his last speech, and he reminds them uh, of some of their failures before he gets into his more open uh, speech. But as you said, it gives us very specific geography, notation, the, denoting exactly where they are, exactly where this takes place, just adding to the factual uh, component of, of all of this. You know, there are people out there who who do suggest at times that Bible is made up and Bible is is written by human beings. And, and when you get this kind of detail and, and specifics, uh, it certainly gives you a sense of this happened and it happened in these places.
1: As we just said, verse 2 says it's an 11-day journey. Verse 3 said it came about in the 40th year. So this is the punishment for the acceptance of the negative report that we've talked about a lot the faithless report of the spies the 10 who came back from scouting out the land and said we cannot take the land the two faithful spies Joshua and Caleb who said yes we can the people listened to the Lord and didn't trust him so the Lord said there would be one day that you didn't trust me so 40 days and one year for every day that you didn't so 40 years is the consequence of the wandering in the wilderness and One author has this quote, Rabbi. Here's the lesson, quote, Do not be slow to believe God in the future.
2: That's a beautiful quote, and uh, just to connect it for a moment to what's happening in the Jewish calendar uh, this time of year. So uh, Sabbath is officially the 9th of Av, which is a very sad day in our calendar, which is actually the day that the Sin of the Spies took place. And God said to the people, according to our tradition, you cried over nothing. You should have trusted and had faith and not listened to these spies and their evil report and derogatory uh, stories about Israel. Now I will give you something to cry about, and sure enough, both the first and the second temples are destroyed on that date, which is Sabbath, and we'll be fasting on Sunday instead of the uh, Sabbath. But that's literally referring to this point right here of the 40 years that happened instead of that... Uh, uh, they could have just wandered right in, and also all the crying that happens throughout our history actually uh, emerges from that event.
1: And so I'd like us to take a time out here from the portion, because you mentioned it, Rabbi, and you already know this, that this Sunday morning at First Melissa, our church home, I will be teaching on Tisha B'Av, the 9th of Av, this day of tragedy when so many horrific events occurred in the life of the people of Israel the faithlessness of the people regarding the 12 spies, we already mentioned the destruction of the first temple, the destruction of the second temple, many, many other events that I'll talk about at our church home. People can go to firstmelissa.com if they want to find that message later on. But talk about for a moment, please, Rabbi, what do you think the impact is of a Christian audience this Sunday in our church home discussing the tragedies of Tisha B'Av?
2: When you first mentioned to me, Pastor, that you were going to be commemorating it, it it really touched me very deeply, because uh, first and foremost, not going even any deeper, it just shows a camaraderie that we are brothers and sisters of faith, and the fact that you're pausing to commemorate uh... the tragedies that have befallen the jewish people uh... that on one level is very very significant and something which touched me very deeply and i think even strengthened uh... feeling of brotherhood uh... that we have That's part one uh... part two we can go a little deeper uh... some of the tragedies that we do commemorate uh... do relate to tensions between uh... the christian faith and the jewish faith we certainly read paragraphs about the crusades and some of the horrible things that happened so The fact that your church, that you and your church are taking time to commemorate this and learn about this, is also a part of the incredible blessing of healing uh, which has been taking place uh, between our two faiths uh, regarding that difficult and painful uh, history. And then I think it's also a statement of, of support for Israel, because when it's all said and done, that story means we remember that there was a first temple and a second temple. We remember that this is the holy land which God has given to us. We are not people who came back in 1948 out of nowhere and decided to occupy someone else's land. We were returning to our rightful uh, biblical and ancestral homeland. And the ninth of Av, as painful and as sad as it is that we, we talk about the tragedies, it's also a reminder to us and cements into reality the fact that this is our land. So knowing that our Christians are brothers and sisters are taking time out to uh, learn and to commemorate with us solidifies that support, that essential uh, support and pact that we have regarding the people of Israel's connection to the land of Israel.
1: I do look forward to that this Sunday morning. It's been a great learning experience for me, and I look forward to sharing that with our church family. Again, firstmelissa.com slash messages after this Sunday, if anyone would like to listen to that. Let's go back to this week's Torah portion called Devarim in Hebrew, covering Deuteronomy chapters 1, 2, and 3. We've said it's the sermons or the testimony of Moses and as we're looking at chapter 1, it's in the 40th year, so this is the almost the conclusion of the wandering. They're about to enter the promised land. Verse 4 says he defeated all of these different people. Uh, Sihon, the king of the Amorites, and Og, the king of Bashan. And then it says in verse 6, The Lord our God spoke to us at Horeb, saying, You have stayed long enough at this mountain. But for the Hebrew lesson for us, Rabbi, Adonai Eloheinu, the Lord our God, is a common phrase in this book, and that comes right out of the Shema, showing the relationship, the Lord our God.
2: Absolutely, and there's many different commentaries in terms of what that terminology means. We actually view it as... There are different names of God, obviously, of the one God, that represent different facets of that God. And that first terminology, which is, uh, actually, we pronounce it very differently than it's spelled. It's spelled with the Hebrew letters Yud, He, Vav, and then He, uh, but we pronounce it not related at all to the letters of Ado and Nai. Uh, That talks about God being a God of... Past, present, and future, timeless, not bound by time, also a God of mercy and Elokenu relates to a God of justice and also a very personal God who's involved in everything that's happening uh, in the world so there's very there's a lot of significance. To the dual terminology, Uh, you know, the fact that God was, is, and will be certainly, but also His involvement in our lives, both as a God of mercy and a God of justice, and trying to find the balance between the two and how those work, and and that's what way we understand uh, those two terminologies.
1: As the Rabbi was saying and explaining, he says that the Jewish people, when they read it in Hebrew, they pronounce Adonai Eloheinu the literal or the written Hebrew word is what he mentioned and often written in English Y-H-W-H based upon those four Hebrew letters Yahweh is how it is often pronounced by Christians and that is the name Adonai Eloheinu or Yahweh Eloheinu the Lord our God is the name that is a covenant God as you describe it mentions multiple facets of the nature of God and that's what we read There in Deuteronomy chapter one, verse six, and then in verse seven, turn and set your journey. So the Lord says, start moving forward and go to the land of promise. And what they are going to do is they're going to send spies again. And we had such a problem back in the book of Numbers with the sending of the spies. Another generation is going to get to do that. And is this a reminder that you get a second chance with the Lord? That older generation is going to die off. They're not going to experience the promise, but God will keep his promise with the people of Israel. So is this redoing of the 12 spies, do you think it's a second chance?
2: There's no doubt that uh, he's you know throwing the challenge in front of the new generation and reminding them uh, of what happened uh, in the past and making sure that they don't uh, in some way commit that sin again, inspire them, this land is yours, go, inherit it. He he brings it back to the forefathers of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob uh, to remind them of the special gift that they have, Uh, gives them the borders again, really trying to, uh, you know, inspire them. Uh, reminding them that the older generation was given that information, and yet they failed, now you're given that information again, and uh, to, and hopefully you take hold of the opportunity. So I definitely uh, appreciate the way you're saying it in terms of the second chance that's given.
1: Chapter 1, verse 8, it says, See, I have placed the land before you. And one commentary tells me the word land, eretz in Hebrew, is mentioned almost 200 times in the book of Deuteronomy. It has to be one of the main themes of the whole book.
2: There's no doubt that Moses, uh, he mentions the connection of the Jewish people to the land, uh, independent of any commandment or mitzvah, uh, as you said, he mentions it 200 times, but 50 times for sure without any, just out of nowhere, just talking about the land of Israel and the people of Israel, he is cementing home this relationship. That's part of Moses' primary message, the primacy of the land of Israel to the people of Israel, That's, that his last will and testament is focused on that. There are going to be commandments given about specific laws related to the land as well, and remember... This is coming from the person who is not going to be allowed to go into that land, who is aching over that fact and will beg God to try to change that reality. Uh, But he is trying to make sure that the people understand that significance. Remember, he's a leader who has heard the people complain over and over again, as he'll talk about soon. Uh, He's a leader who has heard them talk about, let's go back to Egypt. Where is this land that you promised us? And all he wants to do is cement the reality that this is their land and they should not go anywhere else.
1: Chapter 1, verse 21 is a powerful summary of this. See, the Lord your God has placed a land before you. Go up, take possession, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has spoken to you. Do not fear or be dismayed. And there's a whole sermon in just that one verse. The Lord your God, that phrase occurs over 250 times in Deuteronomy. As we said, the word land occurs almost 200 times, and it's a statement of faith. It's a statement of taking a step forward and remembering the promises of God in the past, and when it gets scary or frightening or unknown or lonely, he finishes that verse, do not fear or be dismayed.
2: And especially because he's going to go over some of the history now and and talk about uh, some of the things that happened, including the sin of the spies. He he almost gives this as an introduction that the people shouldn't become despondent or somehow fear that maybe they will fall prey to this. And he's reminding them that they have the capacity to go. God has said so. They should not fear. Then that gives them the safety, I guess you could call it, to talk about the sin of the spies.
1: It says in verse twenty. Three, twelve of your men, one for each tribe. This is the calling out of the spies. And verse 25 said, It is a good land which the Lord our God is about to give us. So again, it's a reminder of the past unfaithfulness and a calling to be faithful going forward. And the same situation exists from before. There are people, we call them the Canaanites collectively, living in the land. God has said, you will trust me and I will give you the land. But the things causing fear, the things causing weak faith still exist. The question is, will I move forward? Very much so. And and, and Moses, I think,
2: also has a little bit of a fear. Uh, the people so much relied on him, he was the one who took them out of Egypt. He was the one who they followed. And he's no longer going to be there. And it's almost like he's winding, winding them up, like in a wind-up toy. And getting the people to a mode where they'll be able to continue their path forward both actually physically and spiritually, uh, when he's not going to be here anymore after he completes this last Old Testament and passes away.
1: I'd like us to look at Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 31, and I know it's a famous poem that Christians and Jews have seen <clears throat> and have read. It's the idea of the footprints where the Lord carried me, and I looked, and I had a dream, and I saw two sets of footprints in the sand, but one of the darkest days of my times... There was only one footprint, and I thought the Lord abandoned me, but he said, my son or my daughter, that's when I carried you. It's a very famous poem. Everyone knows that. Yep, absolutely. We'll look at Deuteronomy 131. And in the wilderness where you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son and all the way in which you have walked until you came to this place. So that is a scriptural support for the teaching of the so-called footprints poem.
2: Absolutely. And again, reassuring the people or, or reminding the people that God is the one who's going to be there for you at all times. It's not all up to you. Especially if they'll be entering a land where they have to become farmers, they have to work. Uh, They won't have the spiritual realities and all the open miracles they have in the desert. And he's reminding them that God was always the one who helped you through your challenges, and God will continue to do so. And yes, that that poem, that footprint I used to have in my wallet um, as I carried around with me, I think it's very beautiful. It really reminds us uh, that God is with us in our suffering and our challenges, and we just have to open our eyes and see that and almost allow ourselves, not almost, actually allow ourselves to rely on him and his salvation and trust in him uh, to help us through. And that's the best mode that a person can have to get to where they need to be.
1: There's another important verse in Deuteronomy 1. It's verse 39. It says, Moreover, your little ones, who you said would become a prey, and your sons, who this day have no knowledge of good or evil, shall enter there, and I will give it to them, and they shall possess it. And this is a bit off the subject, but Rabbi, there's a concern that people have, Jews and Christians do, That if a little baby or a little child or a person who's mentally uh, incapable of confessing sin and receiving the forgiveness of God, what happens to them? Are they going to be separated from God? Are they going to get to go to heaven or not? And in the Christian world, there's a cliche, a term called the age of accountability, meaning before you are able to make confession to the Lord, you have to first be able to understand sin and your need for repentance. And we trust the mercy of God that if a little baby passes away, that, he is, that baby is received into the arms of the heavenly Father. And so one of the very few verses that we have that support this idea comes right there from Deuteronomy 1. Your sons who to this day have no knowledge of good or evil shall enter there. This is when we say we trust God's mercy and his grace and his acceptance of those who cannot repent because their their minds aren't capable of doing so, that this is a verse that supports that idea.
2: That's a beautiful uh, teaching and understanding of those words. Uh, In our tradition, certainly children uh, who leave this world and people who are incapable of real determinations or choices, uh, we actually understand that their souls are on the highest of levels, that they maybe were brought back to Earth just to try to fine-tune one point or two, and therefore when they pass away, they soar. Uh, to the highest of levels in the heavens and closest to God. And that's the way we understand that uh, event, those events when they take place. Uh, But it's a beautiful way of understanding the verse.
1: As we look at the end of chapter 1, you get to verse 41, and we've got a problem here, and that is the people of Israel now are too confident in their own abilities. They want to go ahead and, and fight a battle that the Lord didn't call them to. Verse 42, the Lord said to me, say to them, do not go up nor fight, for I am not among you, lest you be defeated before your enemies. And then Moses says in verse 43, so I spoke to you, but you would not listen. Instead, you rebelled against the command of the Lord and acted presumptuously. went up to the hill country, and the Amorites who lived in that country came against you and chased you and crushed you. Therefore you returned and wept before the Lord, but the Lord did not listen to your voice nor give ear to you, verse 45 says. So you remained in Kadesh many days, the days that you spent there is what verse 46 says. So there's a danger of hearing God say move and we don't, but there's also the danger of hearing God say stop and we don't.
2: Moses is is working really hard on reminding the people that we do what God says. If God says fight, fight. If God says don't fight, don't fight. And you actually see when they go into the land and the prophets that they would ask God, should they go to war or not? You see various leaders doing that, certainly King David uh, and certainly others, uh, checking to see what does God want us to do in this situation. And they were blessed to live in a time of prophecy and open communication with God. And this story uh, where the people assumed, wait a minute, we have a military, we have our arms. We can do what we want to do. Uh, they're taught very quickly uh, that this doesn't work. And everything that we do happens through the grace, through the blessings, and even through the permission of
1: God. As we get into Deuteronomy chapter 2, the second part of this week's Torah portion, it is time for the people of Israel to get moving, to head toward the promised land. And the Lord gives them very specific instructions, some of the Canaanite groups, they're supposed to do battle with. Others, they're not to do battle with. They're supposed to pass by with peace. And even here in chapter 2, it talks about going to the sons of es- Esau, who was the brother of Jacob. They live in Seir or Moab on the east side of the Jordan, country of Jordan today. Verse 6 says, you shall buy food from them with money so that you may eat and you shall also purchase water from them with money so that you may drink. So the Lord says, act peacefully, act like Brothers, your, your cousins, don't go to war with these folks. Be honest, people. It's very little rainfall in that part of the world, about five inches a year of rainfall. So you can imagine how scarce the water is. Wars were fought over the water supplies and the water reservoirs. The Lord said, don't steal it. Don't conquer them. Purchase it and pass by peacefully alongside of them. One
2: of the things which uh, I think many people who read the scripture don't realize Is how the people of Israel, as they made their way towards Israel and even in Israel, there were overtures of peace, certainly to our brothers, cousins, uh, people who come from the Abraham a family. Uh, the, the, but even in the land of Canaan, even in the land of Israel, when they go in there, there were always overtures of peace. The people didn't want to accept it. Uh, then we had to go to war. But certainly over here, you're reminded of the importance of family, of the importance of remembering that even if there's a family splinters and have differences of opinion and different ways of life, uh, how we must treat one another and with what respect as well. And uh, I think it's important as we read these verses to see that because there's such a tainted picture painted out there of what the people of Israel are like, even today, and even what our army is like today, and we're descri- described as evil conquerors. We get our code of conduct from the Bible, and that's why we're the most moral army in the world, uh, because of the fact that we get our lessons and, and how we act uh, from Scripture. You have to remember, when an Israeli soldier gets sworn in, he's given his gun, and he's given a Bible, and that Bible describes over here, don't go through their cities and start killing them and taking their water and taking their food, but there's a right way to go about things, and hopefully things can be solved peacefully.
1: As we continue through chapter 2, there's sort of a flashback to the past, and it talks about in chapter 2, verses 12 through 15, it talks about how the people of Israel didn't obey God in the pre- in the previous situations and the result of their unfaithfulness and their disobedience is a sad verse number 15 moreover the hand of the lord was against them to destroy them from within the camp until they all perished so there is a sense that god is the protector and he is the guide when i am obedient and faithful to follow him but he's also the judge of my sin and If I continue to disobey, there will be consequences for my sin. And here it says there was a time when God chose to judge the sin of this older generation, and he says the Lord was against them, a place I never want to be, Rabbi.
2: (laughs) Well, I think it could add me to that category as well. And uh, there's no doubt the Bible is not a book of everything is beautiful, everything is wonderful. Uh, We see punishment. We see consequences for actions. We see God acting to remove evil, God doing what's necessary to give those who can be spiritual and saved uh, salvation. And uh, Moses is very clear about this to the people and uh, doesn't hesitate to remind them uh, of that reality.
1: So verse 16 says, "...it came about when all the men of war had finally perished from among the people." The Lord spoke to me, Moses speaking, you saying you shall cross over. And this is when the time comes to enter the promised land, saying again, Moses himself will not be able to do so. And so the rest of chapter two is a series of battles with different groups, the subgroups of the Canaanites that they are able to, in some cases, peacefully pass by. And in some cases, they are to conquer them and to take their land. And when you get to chapter 2, verse 25, it says, This day I will put the dread and fear of you upon the peoples everywhere under the heavens, who when they hear the report of you shall tremble and be in anguish because of you. God said, I'm going to make it so they don't even want to fight against you because of my protection and my blessing upon my people going to the place I'm telling them to possess.
2: And we're going to see this, uh, by the way, play out in the book of Joshua, when the spies go in and they see what's going on and they hear about the people are aware that the Israelites are on their way, they're aware of this God that's been helping them and providing these miracles for them, and there's this fear that they have, which, by the way, is why there was hope uh, that things could be solved uh, peacefully. But again, building up the people, Moses is telling them, God promises you their fear will be there. Don't fall prey to any fears and, and the sins that we've seen in the past. Uh, you just see how concerned Moses is of us repeating and him feeling the need that he has to really inspire the people to be motivated and faithful as they make their way towards Israel.
1: The latter part of chapter 2 demonstrates that God is sovereign over all peoples, not just the chosen people of Israel, but all people. In verse 26, it talks about Sihon, the king of Heshbon, and Moses tried to say, let us pass through. I'll not take any of your Uh, land. uh, You will sell me food for money and water. I'm not going to take anything and steal anything from you. But verse 30 says, Sihon was not willing for us to pass through the land. So the Lord said, I have begun to deliver him and his land over to you. And so then there was a battle starting in verse 32, verse 33, the Lord delivered him over to us and we defeated him. We captured all the cities. So God is in control. He's sovereignly protecting the people, and he is guiding them. And sometimes that means that the situations of life will be simple and easy, and sometimes it means they will be difficult with opposition. But if we want to walk with God, we walk with him on the good days and the bad days. Absolutely.
2: And uh, Moses wants people to be aware of the reality Uh, Exactly like you said, Pastor, there'll be ups and downs. By the way, this is, you know, we we fast forward a few thousand years to people of Israel today. Uh, That's our mantra. There are good days, there are bad days, there are days that our enemies succeed in destroying our fields, and there are days when we're able to shoot them before they do so. Ups and downs, peaks and valleys. We move forward, we move backwards, but we're heading in a certain direction. We're heading somewhere. In their case, it was towards the promised land and settling the land. In our case, once we're already here, it's towards final redemption and peace. And we just have to keep going in the right direction. But the key line, with faith in God, hand in hand with God, following his word every step of the way.
1: We get to the last chapter of this week's Torah portion, Deuteronomy chapter 3. They continue to move forward possessing more and more territory. It says they turned and went up the road to Bashan, and Og, king of Bashan, with all his people, came out to meet us in battle at Edre. And according to the maps, this is 30 miles east of the southern tip of the Sea of Galilee. So this is pretty far north of the Jericho area where they're going to cross the Promised Land. But one writer says that if you've got, let's say, 2 million people and they're in a formation and you're heading north... If you think about the map, you're heading in a straight line north, and then you're going to turn to the west, so you're making a left turn. You need to protect your right flank from attack, and so this is one of the reasons that a, a battle took place on the north edge so that the people would be protected as the whole formation, if you will, of people is coming and going to turn left and start to head west across the Jordan River.
2: It's a great point, uh, and, and, and talking about those tactics I think is so critical because you know, we envision in our mind they had God, everything's just going to go smoothly. They had an army. They had to use strategy. They, yes, God promises them blessing, uh, but they had to develop an actual army, and they had, I'm sure, had training, and they had to figure out strategy, and this is just a great example of that that you see over here in terms of how they had to go about covering their bases before they are able to cross over the Jordan.
1: Verse 3, the Lord our God delivered Og, king of Bashan, into our hand. We captured all his cities. There was not a city we did not take from them. Sixty cities, it says in verse 4. All these cities were fortified with high walls, gates, and bars, besides a great many unwalled towns, and we utterly destroyed them. It says, we took the land, verse 8, from the hand of the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan. And verse 12 says, we took possession of this land at this time. And then Moses says, I gave some of the land to the Reubenites and to the Gadites. And so talk about the tribes here. You've got three tribes, Manasseh or Manasseh, Reuben, and Gad, and they're going to get territory. Some of it is on the east side of the Jordan River, again, what we would call the modern country of Jordan. Some on the west side of the Jordan River, the modern state of Israel. So this is not only conquering land, it's beginning to allocate the territory to the tribes.
2: Absolutely. Going back to the end of the book of Numbers, these were tribes who talked about how they had lots of of, uh, flocks and they had lots of material things, and this land was good for them and Moses made a deal with them, that you can have this land and settle it if you cross over the Jordan and fight with the people of Israel. They do that. Uh, But yes, this is the beginning of, you could call it, the settlement of the people in these areas because these are the tribes that are going to come back and stay uh, on the eastern side of the Jordan after the rest of the tribes settle the actual land of Israel.
1: We said that this week's Torah portion called Devarim covers Deuteronomy's chapters 1, 2, and 3. Actually, the last verse is Deuteronomy 3, verse 22, so it's a great place for us to finish our discussion today. It says, do not fear them, for the Lord your God is the one fighting for you. Rabbi, I know many of our listeners, like people in the synagogue or people in the church, deal with marriage struggles and medical troubles and disease and all kinds of crises in their lives, and maybe they need to hear this word today, do not fear them, whatever that enemy is, for the Lord your God is the one fighting for you.
2: Well, very often, Pastor, at the end of our conversation, you ask me to go back and sum it up, uh, and this week Moses did it for us, because that that last verse literally captures everything he has said in the opening three chapters of his last will and testament, where he's telling the people the biggest mistake we make— is thinking that we're in it on our own and making our own decisions and doing our own thing. And that's what's led to all the tragedies and the catastrophes in the desert until now, is when the people veered away from God and didn't realize that He's the one who's actually taking care of their needs and in this case, specific case, fighting their battles for them. And as long as they have that conviction they'll be able to get through uh, anything. You know, I was watching uh, some of the clips from there. Uh, they had these uh, ESPN sports. had these awards that were given out to various people for various things. And uh, they had Jim Kelly, who was a former uh, football quarterback for the Buffalo Bills, who I grew up with, uh, when he was the quarterback for the Bills. And he was a star in the NFL when I was a kid. And he talked about faith. And he's got a person who's gone through a lot of struggles in his life with a young son who died tragically, he himself now battling cancer, and he talked about the power of faith and how faith is something which can get you through anything. And that's what Moses, I believe, is telling us over here. Do not be afraid. You can can rise up and conquer all the challenges that come your way the moment you recognize that God is with you, and that's his message to the people of Israel then, and that's his message to all of us today.
1: Rabbi, I love studying the Word of God with you, and I hope our listeners do as well, learning from the truth of the Torah. And I want to say Shabbat Shalom to you, and also on this weekend that we commemorate Tisha B'Av, we look forward to the third temple being built and the Messiah to come.
2: Amen. Thank you, Pastor. Shabbat Shalom to you and all the listeners, and thank you again for joining with us in the Tisha B'Av commemoration. It's going to be a sad day. Uh, here. We'll be sitting on the floor. We'll be fasting. We'll be reading lamentations and, 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 and poems about a lot of the suffering that we've had over the generations. But the fact that we're doing that here, I'll be doing it Saturday night at the Western Wall with my family. The fact that we're here so close, we know that good things are coming ahead, and God willing, we'll all be able to experience them.
0: Thank you for joining us for the Lone Star Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Lone Star Podcast to learn when new episodes are ready. Please join Rabbi Dove Lipman and Pastor Trey Graham next time to expand your mind and encourage your soul. May the Lord bless you and draw you to Himself this week.